Hey everybody, this is Andrew. One quick comment before you listen. We recorded this podcast way back in the glorious pre-COVID days of early February. Why does that matter? You're going to hear references to things that you know you can't do anymore. Shaking hands, hugging, various skin touches that are absolutely taboo these days. So I just wanted to point that out. Don't think less of us. You need to know. Like I said, this was recorded many months ago. It's still great content, fabulous information for you and your business. And as for the oddities that you're going to hear, let's have fun with it. Turn it into a drinking game. Every time you hear us reference something that you can no longer do, boom, have a cool drink of a refreshing adult beverage. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Paint Radio with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Your favorite radio, Paint Radio. I'm Andrew. That's Emily. We, hello, Emily. We, of course, just got back from beautiful Phoenix for the PCA Expo slash convention. They don't call it a convention, but to me, it's a convention. And shockingly, I think we heard from quite a few people who said, wow, 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 wow. We really enjoy your podcast, or boy, 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 that paint radio is good, or you guys are fun to listen to. You guys are so funny, right? I mean, I'm not known for humility, but wow. <laughs> you are not known for humility. He's going to be talking about this for years. Thanks for blowing up his head, everybody. <laughs> Would you agree, Emily, that that was really gratifying? Yes, it was. It's very nice to hear that people are listening. Yes. And that they like it and that right. they can tolerate Andrew. You know, I think they're laughing at me I mean, rather I'm than laughing with at me. You, yeah. So. And I think they're suffering along with you. I agree. But hey, give the people what they don't want. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> the American way. Yes. Topic today is hiring, which surprises me because there doesn't really seem to be any struggles with hiring these days. It wasn't a popular topic at PCA. Easy Everyone, peasy, yes, right? Yes. Unemployment's low. Everything's great. <laughs> but despite that, we are going to talk about hiring, and this is a Mountain West podcast today, because of course, you and I here in beautiful Colorado Springs, the most beautiful spot in Colorado, though our guests may disagree, and we have two guests today, one in beautiful Idaho and one in beautiful Breckenridge. So let's introduce them. Risa Rowe, Operations Manager of Adam Rowe Painting in Boise, Idaho. Risa, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's super cool. <laughs> Heck yeah. It's going to be cool. And yeah. we also have production manager Ryan Schroeder of Almond Painting in Breckenridge, Colorado. Ryan, how are you? Doing great. Good to be here. I think it's worth mentioning. Yes. That Almond Painting was the company doing the job on our December cover. The way I hear it, Ryan's walking around claiming to be a cover model. <laughs> Andrews, you recall there were no. (laughs) (laughs) And let's. Hey, I'm not on the cover, and I say I'm a cover model all the time. So there were actually no people on that cover, Andrew. Oh, we talk about our magazine. Yeah. I love that magazine. You sometimes read it. (laughs) Ryan, you know, we could go on for 20 minutes, but just talk a bit about the glory that now is yours for being on the cover of American Painting Contractor. Go. Oh, you know, I can't express my gratitude enough. It was. Awesome to look at the magazine and see us on there, sharing the beauty of Colorado with everybody. It was an awesome, awesome picture. 
for those of you who are not aware, it was the job site of the year. So anybody who wants to enter, we do announce a job site of the week. Out of those, we choose a job site of the month, and the winner gets to be on the December issue of APC. Pretty there, awesome. Risa, we're not trying to foment revolution here, but have you ever entered the job site contest? Uh... <laughs> oh. No, I have not yet. But, that but she will like now. On my to-do list. Yes, actually, <laughs> right here on my to-do list as we're making one. Yes. Would you say the landscapes are attractive out there in Boise? I sure would. I would definitely say that. And you should probably put me on the cover just to prove it. Let's put the photo where your mouth is and let's enter, <laughs> Risa. Come on. That's right. If you don't enter, you can't win. You don't play, you can't win. So, yep, that's Thank the you. first do. Thank you. Okay, back to the topic at hand, hiring. I think, Risa, we're going to start with you because as Emily tells me, you have quite the fascinating process that you call scorecarding as far as hiring new people for your company. So if you could just walk us through a bit about what your scorecarding process looks like. Sure. I'll do a synopsis and then you guys can ask me some questions, I guess. I believe in scorecarding because I think it gives everybody the opportunity to see like where you are. So just like the map, you know, you can't figure out where you want to go until you know where you are. The best thing about having your potential new employees work with a scorecarding system is you're going to get into some honesty. They have an opportunity to score themselves and we have a process of one through five on all the elements that would make them a good candidate. So we get to decide what we want to be hiring for. Sometimes we're hiring at a lower level. Maybe they have very little experience. We can scorecard them on they're basically hiring for attitude. Things like punctuality, productivity, work ethic, attitude, aptitude. So everything is rated one to five. They get to score themselves first. So if they're a fairly entry level person, we're going to hope they're going to scorecard themselves pretty high on that. We're going to go through some interview questions just to see where we think they come in at. During the scorecarding process, though, once they score themselves, we're going to let them know they're going to go out into the field. They're going to be scored by our team. And this really breaks down some barriers and it gives them a chance to get honest with you. So that very early on in the hiring process, you're going to have a better idea of where they are. And I just believe in scorecarding for all other elements, too. And I use it in all aspects of my business, but where it really comes in handy with the hiring is placing people where they really should be placed, giving them a chance to show you what they've got and using it as a future reference for reviews. So just um, to make sure so that listeners understand, this is not an onboarding process. These are for people who haven't been hired yet. This is the hiring process, and I understand it's a three-day process. Do any of your applicants opt out of this process? They say, ain't nobody got time for that? Or or does everybody say, no, okay, sounds cool? Not at all, not at all. So I'm not sure how much detail you want me to start out with, but I can get pretty detailed here. So Let's I mean, dive in. Let's dive in. Okay. You decide first what you're looking for. And for me, this works best for the field. I do something a little different for maybe higher end estimators, office staff. We're looking for, and this is, I think, where we're all struggling. Most people are struggling to get your field people in, you know, enrolling. So you can do your call to action. Is it Indeed, Craigslist, Facebook, referrals? A lot of people are doing headhunting fees for referrals. However, you get that phone to ring and those people to start applying for your position, you get to do that. Then depending on where you're at, like for me, I do a lot of commercials. So I'll ask some qualifying questions. I let them know we are going to be drug testing. So I'm looking for drug-free applicants. I can do some interview questions and I have a list of them that I'd be happy to share. And they're, they go all over the board. You don't have to ask all these questions. And it might sound something like, if you're offered this position, how long do you plan to stay in the role? So I'm looking for full-time 
people. Maybe I'm not always looking for full-time people though, because in the summertime, I could hire some long-term or short-term. So in the summer, I might just go with some summer hires. So again, you get to decide. What do you know about the position? What attracted you to the ad? Why would you like to work for my company versus another? Just some basic, kind of get the feel for who they are. And then once I've decided they're the right candidate, I'm going to go ahead and schedule a face-to-face. So I get to do a little bit of weeding out characters through that. So I want to make sure when I'm going to do an in-person interview that I'm not wasting too much of my time. So they come in. It's meant to be very brief. I'm honestly looking for people that I can put out on the job site and we can move to the second part of the process. So again, making sure they're not like we don't hire sex offenders and they're going to be drug free. And then we give them a scorecard. So if they do have some experience, they're going to rate themselves one to five on things like job site, housekeeping, masking, cock, spackle, sand, cutting in freehand, brushwork, etc. So if a guy comes to me and he says, hey, I want to be a journeyman painter. He's looked at my website. He knows what I pay. I list all of my job descriptions right on my website so everyone can see what positions we're hiring for and what the pay scale is. Some people, con- contractors, might be a little hesitant to put those numbers out there. But I don't mind at all because I look at it to say, you know what? People are going to find out what we're paying anyway. People talk. Let's just put it out there for the world to see. That way I cut through a lot there too. They know already what we're going to pay. We decide where they fit. So if they're a journeyman one level and they think they can handle that job description, I ask them, so what pay do you feel that you are worth? What value do you bring to the team? And if they say, yep, I can make this amount of money, I say, great. I want to pay you that amount of money because I'm looking for skilled people. Hey, Risa, let me ask you really quick just to get kind of the order of all this in. So order piece number one is your ad basically recruiting for the job. Secondly, you can send them to your website where basically you have your different levels, right? You've got all of that published, what the expectation is of a person that is being paid X. And you've got four different levels on your website. Am I right? That's right. So they can look at that. Then they come in for an interview if you've chosen them, of course. And they can say, I think that I'm a level two painter. When do they get to the scorecard where they tell you where they think they are skill wise? Once we've decided what level they are and what pay scale they think they are, then I say, you know what? That's great. I'd love to pay you for that. I just have to make sure that's truly your level. All companies are a little different. Maybe you felt you were a journeyman when you worked for residential only, and we have diverse applications that we are going to be using. So you may or may not be a journeyman in my company. The only way we're going to find out is if we can get you on the job. So they'll go and they'll fill out the scorecard with me right there. And sometimes, which is very enlightening, as they're going through scoring themselves, they will say, well, maybe I'm not a journeyman. When they start realizing that I'm asking for quite a bit more detailed information from them, or maybe I'm not qualified for that position. And a lot of times they'll take it upon themselves to lower their position. They know they're going to go out on the job site. They're going to be also scored by my foreman. I give them three days to work out their working interview. And during that time, if they really truly say they know how to do all of these things and they're a pretty high score, I want to make sure we get them. So for instance, they say, I know how to spray. I know how to do lacquer. I need to do trim work. I can do interior. I can do exterior. I'll go, great. We're going to give you a chance to prove it. Now, if I just have them on job on the first day on this job and they haven't had a chance to get their hands 
on the airless, I will transfer them to a different job to make sure they truly get to show that they have that skill. So they may go to more than one job during that three days. They're going to see more than one foreman who's going to be subject to scoring them maybe a little differently than the other ones will. So we're going to get a really good overall view of their skill set. At the end of every day, I ask the foreman to send a picture of their scorecard to me. And like I said, there's two scorecards. One is for the experienced painter. The other one is more about punctuality, activity, work ethic, things like that. So I could see if that person was late that day. I'm going to call them and say, hey, you know, you're only on day one of the working interview and you've already had a late day. What's going on with you? Kind of check in with them. You know, is there something going, you know, I need to know. But if they can't shine in the first three days, they're never going to shine. One of the things that brought me to do this particular process is my foremen were getting frustrated with the people I was sending out to the job site. And I really wanted them to become part of the process. So I said, look, this is going to be a team effort. I can get them in the door. I can do my best to vet them. We're never really going to know what they're all about until we get them on the job site. But I need you guys to help me make sure we're talking about the same thing. So if I send them out to a job and I've only got them scored as a painter, which is my lower end job description, then they're not going to have high expectations. They're going to see that the rate of pay that I hired them at is lower. And yes, I share the rate of pay that I've hired these people with. I don't tell them that they have to keep it a secret or anything because if they're a painter, this is what it pays. It's all out there in the open. But with that being said, if they see that it's a painter level, they're not going to be frustrated if he doesn't know how to spray lacquer. They're going to go, yeah, we don't expect this guy to spray lacquer. This is the level that I'm scoring him at. So that was one of the things where with the communication was missing when I would hire someone, what that person's job level was. So that helps a lot too. So you really avoided the situation where someone comes in and says, I am an expert painter. And you hire them, you say, this is wonderful. We're so excited to have you on the team. And he goes out to the job site and doesn't really know how to do much. Yeah. And I'm sure that people who are listening in on this would say that's very common mm-hmm. and frustrating because at that point you say to yourself, okay, well, he doesn't know what he said he knows. Now I'm already overpaying him. I've got some resentment, but we're hungry for the people on the job. We're hungry for our human resources. So maybe we put up with that. And then you even want to bring him in. Some people at this point will say, I want to bring this guy in and say, look, you know, you're not quite the guy I thought you were. I need to drop you down $2 an hour. We know that never works because now he's frustrated also. New employee now has a bad taste in his mouth and it never works. So right during that three days, if there's any given time where I think that person's skill level does not match, I'm going to bring them in or talk to them on the phone. I'm going to say, look, I've gotten two different days of scorecarding from you and we're way off base here. What I can see is that you've scored yourself as if you're going to be a journeyman two level, but you're really not even a journeyman one. I'd love to make you a journeyman two. We have a training process in place where I can help you move up from a painter to a journeyman two probably within the next six months. And I'd be happy to pay you commensurate to what you're going to bring to value to the table, but you're just not there. I said, so what are we going to do about that? Do you want to continue working here for the next day or two to see where else you're going to fit into the company? Or do we want to just cut our losses right now and let you go? There's so much more opportunities for open conversation Mm -hmm. that you're not going to put up with stuff. 
wonder how you're going to go back to someone to have those hard conversations because it's all right out there. But I'll be honest with you, that doesn't really happen anymore very often because when they're doing a self-assessment and they know they're going to get assessed by possibly three different foremen on three different job sites and they're going to have a chance to show you every aspect of these skill levels. Like I said, a lot of times they will go, can I change my position that I said (laughs) I was? And I'll go, sure, no problem. Nothing like a test. To make you be honest, Andrew always tells me he's a really fast runner. Well, I can. <laughs> but only... he stopped when I said, I'm going to time you, I think. Yeah, I'm only fast <laughs> when I'm running from something. Well, wait, it's like, do you watch The Office? Yes. So have you seen the one where uh, <laughs> where Michael's talking about, I guess he's got a new manager or something, someone that's holding him accountable. And I think his saying there is, I thrive under a lack of accountability. <laughs> Risa, the stories you're telling about testing the people and seeing if they truly are where they think they are. When we first decided to launch Paint Radio and weekly podcasts, I claimed that I was quite the podcaster. And I think early listeners could tell that I should have asked forgiveness, not permission, to do those podcasts. Because, well, you know, I've grown a lot. still a pretty bad podcast. But it's not nearly as bad as it was in the early days. So fortunately, Emily does not scorecard me. Neither do the listeners. Um, we might start though. Or maybe they do, but you just don't share those with me. You don't want to break well, my spirit. Don't tell Andrew. <laughs> it's the well, don't call Andrew file. That's right. so, you know, well, reason- I just said, what happens though? You never know where you're going until you know where you were. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. So for anybody who might be interested in implementing something like this, What are a couple of key things that you need to have in place before you even start rolling this out publicly? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think you're going to want to have what's important to you and what's important to your company. You know, I've mentioned some things that we're going to scorecard people on and you just have to sit down and really say, where am I getting frustrated? What kind of skills are people saying they have that they don't have or they just have a lot lower value of skills than what they said. And then, you know, just give yourself a chance. Every company's different. For some people, you know, if you're doing a lot of residential, it could be high on working with the homeowner and cleanliness and respect. And of course, those things are important to us, but we do mostly commercial. So they don't have to have little booties on their feet when they go into one of our jobs. So it just depends on what's important to you. And then once you decide, create your own scorecard. I'd be happy to share however I could share this information and you know you can use it as an example but you can customize your scorecard process to your company and then really I think you should really have your job descriptions very well decided and have a value you know hourly rate of pay placed on each one of those and I, I also think you really need to get real with your people don't be afraid to share the pay rates with people and allow them to share i know that's really out of our culture a lot of times when we're hiring we say you know this is kind of confidential where i hired you or don't tell people what i hired you at but i think we could get away from that because people are going to talk anyway if we're very confident in the skill level that we're rating people and placing them giving them a chance for advancement we're going to allow people to shine in the position they're at and reward them. So with that being said, you know, I think you might have to do some introspective work. What am I really saying to my employees? How am I hiring? And how can I break some barriers that I might already be placing? And then once you get pretty transparent and you place the ad for the positions that you're looking for, the scorecarding process is going to help you define if where they fit. And then if they are saying what they say they're going to do. When I send them out for the three-day working unit, I don't do a lot of onboarding. This saves me time. 
as the hiring manager because some people don't make it through the process. Let's be honest. I mean, if they're going to be late, if they have a bad attitude, if they really off the charts, we're just going to let them go after one day, two days maybe. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over my policies, having them sign a lot of paperwork. We'll do some minimal stuff, maybe a W-2, an I-9, take a copy of their social security card, the driver's license, do a little employee contact information with emergency contact name on it. And at this point, I just give them a paper time card. I have given my employees a little gift. And that is these people that are in their three-day working interview, the hours that they're spending on the jobs do not count off on their hours. We do a bonus program that's based on hours and coming in under budget because they're going to have to take time out of their life to kind of work with these people, bounce them around from job to job, and possibly do some training. And definitely, they have to take time to scorecard them, my foreman on the job. I know he's going to take time away already from what he needs to do to produce. So these people, they're in their three-day working interview. We don't pull their hours off the job. So they're just on a paper time card system, which we will cash them out at the end of three days. So at the end of three days, even if we're going to keep them, we love them. We're like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You're definitely a journeyman too. We'd love to have you on the team. We've gone ahead and compiled your hours for the last three days. Come into the office after work on Thursday so I can give you a check. And the nice thing about that is I give them, I cash them out. I give them a check and then I'll schedule for the next morning. I'll usually do the onboarding process before they start their day. Now they've got a check in their hand. They got a little bit of cash flow. So for those of you who maybe get some of your new guys asking for a cash advance, that actually takes care of that problem. So they now have a little bit of money in their pocket and they're ready to start. That's nice. And just really quick clarity, that is you are bringing them on these three days as an employee. You're not 1099-ing them. No, we get ourselves into a little bit of a tricky spot. I considered that and I even test drove that for a little bit. But then through the advice of my accountant, that's a little too tricky to do a 1099. They got to be a subcontractor and you want to make sure you keep your stuff separate there. We cash out as a W-2 employee. and Well, that's good. Let's switch over now really quick. This is Ryan Schroeder from Almond Painting. They actually have an interesting model for scaling up during the busy times. There's a lot of people who will bring in subs when things are busy, and there are both positives and negatives to that. But this is something a little bit different. Ryan, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your program when things get busy? Yeah, so kind of based on the area and stuff that we're at, we kind of go from 15 people during the slow season to about 35 during the busy season. Usually that takes place over the course of a couple of weeks, so we're forced to hire a lot of people really quick. So because of that, we've kind of been switching over to using temp to hire. So we have a temp service that we use up here and they'll send us over people. And after four weeks, we can hire them on as employees. So that just helps us scale real fast to meet the demands of our area. Do you call the temp service and say, hey, we need 20? Yeah, we'll bring them on in five or eight person groups and just kind of start onboarding them and split them up and send them out to different crews. So that way we only have like two or three new guys every week. And then we can kind of train those up and then move on to the next group the next week. It's really interesting because when I think about temps, yeah, I always think of like administrative jobs. Do they want to do this work? Is this different than anything that they have? Or is this relatively common for temp services and, now? Yeah, does the agency specialize in construction work or physical labor? Some of the guys that we get have some construction experience. Some of the people that we get have no idea what they're doing when they walk onto the site. So they require a lot of oversight and help training them. But normally we can try to say, you know, if we get people with no experience, we're getting them at a lower rate. And if we get people with higher experience, they've been around construction sites and stuff like that. 
then we can bring them on on a higher rate. Normally, though, none of them have any painting experience. So it's kind of a difficult challenge we've had to deal with. How do you trade them once yeah. you bring them in? On the job? Now, I mean, I think I'd be really good if you put me on a <laughs> painting scene. I, I mean, don't know how good Andrew would be. I'd be good at supervising you. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at supervising. It's the theory. <laughs> no, but for people who have no experience, and it sounds like you're putting them on pretty big commercial jobs, how do you deal with training them? Well, we've kind of had to switch our business model just a little bit. So on our jobs, we try to spray as much as possible. So when we bring on new temp people, we're not looking for anybody to actually touch a paintbrush. So we just have them taping and masking. So we're putting them in a really low stress, low pressure environment. If they mess up a tape line, we can just rip it off and start over. <laughs> so the trick there is to only give them tasks that you don't want somebody with no experience doing. Before we go any farther, both of you, Lisa and Ryan, Lisa, you first, give us an idea of the type of work your company does and how many employees you have. We do mostly commercial. We do have some residential and we use that for fillers because the commercial is a little bit more regimented in how it's scheduled. We have anywhere between 25 and 35 employees. So yeah, we are a little seasonal as well. Okay. And Ryan, I know you said you're ramping up to, I think you said 35. Yeah, so like right now during the winter, we don't really have any temp help or lower experience painters on right now. So we just try to keep our core group of guys busy through the winter. And then, you know, as soon as the snow starts melting, hopefully sooner than uh, June and July this year. <laughs> That's Colorado, uh, though. We'll start getting into more of our big commercial stuff. You know, we'll do maybe 60% commercial, 40% residential. And how long have you been using this system where you rely on ramping up with temp workers? How many years have you done that? And did it stem from just severe dissatisfaction with trying to hire people? So we kind of switched over to this model start of 2019. And it kind of came from we were working on a big job and the schedule got accelerated. And there were weeks where our guys were working 20 or 30 hours of overtime Ooh. just because we were just way understaffed for the project. So after that project, we kind of sat down and said, how do we make stuff like this go easier? So when overtime happens, you're paying time and a half for all of your employees. But if you bring on a temp worker, even though they're $5 an hour more than your average cost per employee, you're still saving 5 or $6 an hour versus paying everybody on your crew overtime. So we kind of started from that. And then eventually we were just like all the temp guys that we're getting are working out really well with our company. And the guys that we were trying to hire ourselves just weren't as high a caliber. And we'd have guys that would come in, do a great interview. You know, we'd spend four or five hours training them and getting them onboarded. And their first day on the job, they wouldn't show up. And so it's just like we're throwing all this time and energy down the drain. But with the temp company, you know, if, uh, if people aren't working out right or they send a new guy over and he's just not really geared for painting, you have like four hours worth of work that you can get out of them in the morning. And if they're not working out for you, you can send them back at no charge and they'll just replace them with somebody else. So it gives us the ability to really pick and choose out of a big pool of people the best people for painting. Would you say that most of the people that come out there work out pretty well? Like how many people do you typically end up sending back? You know, it's not very often that we send people back. You know, it's for taping and really simple masking and stuff. We just need somebody that cares about their work and just has a little bit of attention for detail. So maybe we're sending back one in five, something like that. But wow. for the most part, everybody works out really well. 
That's nice. How many people are you end up bringing on with you guys full time? Are you finding a lot of good new core people that you can keep with your company this way? When we bring people on, we have a training schedule after we bring them on through the temp company. With the temp company, we have the understanding that they'll send out the same person every day with the understanding that within 30 days or four weeks or so, we're going to be hiring them on with the company. So during that time, we're trying to train them up and get them to the point where they can tape and caulk and just kind of do some more of the basic stuff. Then once we bring them on to the company, it lowers our cost like $5 an hour once we hire them on ourselves. But at that point, it's very rare that we see people disappear or don't show up for work anymore. We're kind of building a good staff of people. And then normally we try to keep all those people on through our whole six-month busy season. And then at the end of that, we kind of evaluate whether we want them to stay on with us, whether we're going to promote them up to higher and higher levels of responsibility. Or a lot of the guys go on vacations or work for the ski resort or stuff like that. So a lot of times we just see them returning next year. Huh, interesting. This is something that I've never heard of. But it sounds like you're paying a premium for this, right? Are you paying more than what you would pay if you brought on a bunch of subs? We're right around the same pay for an experienced painter versus a temp laborer. So it's five or six dollars more than our normal pay rate for an introductory person, which gets expensive. But if you, depending on what skill level people come in at, we're usually paying about a four to eight hundred dollar premium to bring that person on through those four weeks to the temp company. Do you know anyone else who uses a similar model? Not in Breckenridge, Um, but somewhere else? Not particularly. There are some people that do similar things kind of up in the mountains, but they never really bring the temp laborers on full time or try to train them. We see it a lot with general contractors and stuff coming up into this market from out of town because the cost of living is real high up here and it's really hard to find good experienced help. So a lot of the out-of-town contractors kind of do the same thing up here. Right. So that's what I'm wondering. Do you think it is tailor-made for a town like Breckenridge, which is a mountain town in Colorado? It's a small town. There's not a lot of people, but there are what we used to call ski bums. I guess we don't call them that anymore. (laughs) That people who just want to ski all winter? Ski enthusiasts, Andrew. (laughs) Uh, That sounds like a fly into my corporate jet and drop in <laughs> hella style. True. That's very different from a bum. <laughs> right. So I guess this is an example of you take what you're given and you've crafted a process that is tailor-made for the population that you have to deal with. We experienced some kind of unique challenges up here. So we've had to tailor our hiring approach to fit the environment more than we'd like, I guess. But, you know, it also helps us, you know, if we ever want to expand and do kind of a traveling thing where we can work in different cities. This would allow us to move into that kind of system really easy because we're really good at training up temp laborers now. So we could bring a core group of our sprayers and our foremen into a new city. Man, this is a fascinating podcast because these are just two wonderfully unique systems that you guys have made it work for you. That's tremendous. And I think that's what we're all just looking for is just insights from other contractors about what works and what doesn't and why. And Emily, here's another one of my genius ideas. I think I should head out to Boise and we should bring the film crew and invite Risa and her team to scorecard the absolute crap out of me. (laughs) I would love this. Put me to the test and, and we'll see how I do. And then... At the end of the three days, of course, I won't be hired. So I'll go to Breckenridge and (laughs) Ryan can put me through his process. He also will not hire me. And I'll just come back and we'll just keep going like nothing happened. Yeah, I guess all I can say is 
to resend Ryan. Good luck. It, it Have will fun. Give, <laughs> it will give you, Emily, a week without me, and it might create some good content. So much we'll get to. Oh, no. So now I realize I have to put a new job description on my website that says podcaster. Right. And I have to work hard you as a podcaster. No, no, no. I don't want any special favors. Journeyman 2 is what I'm going for. Come on. Journeyman 2. Well, seriously, deal. this was really interesting stuff. So I tell you, my theory, people who live in the West, they're there by choice. They're happier people. You guys strike me as very happy people doing great work. So thank you for sharing that with us and our listeners. Well, you're welcome. And you know what? The better thing about being in the West, I did listen to a couple of your podcasts in preparation for today, and I realized I should be peeing off the side of my deck. <laughs> That is that is a reference. That sounds like a Tom Reber. That was a that Tom. Is Tom Reber. And if you guys haven't listened to that one, it is the best. And as my husband and I were in bed this morning listening to that particular podcast, he looks over at me and he says, I've done that. I was like, you have? Hey, when, when did you do that? Men. So, anyway. Ironically, well, coincidentally, I should say, Tom Reber... <laughs> just left this podcast about 15 minutes ago. So yes, we just recorded a new podcast with the highly energetic and inspiring Tom Reber. So look for that soon. Risa and Ryan, thank you so much. Emily, of course, I owe it all to you. Keep up the good work. Paint Radio is about Emily and it's about you all out there. So keep listening. Keep believing in yourself. You can clear those obstacles with cool creative ideas that you hear right here on Paint Radio. And let me also point out, according to Michael, our new marketing manager, subscribe to Paint Radio wherever, literally wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there alongside all your favorites. Add us to the list. You won't be sorry. In fact, you'll be grateful. There, Michael. Off my case. Paint Radio out. Done, 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 done.